1: Alex, I feel like we drum up certain moments as momentous. I feel like I maybe overuse that word. I don't really know if I use it on the podcast, but we try to make it ever. Heard you use that word on the podcast. We try to make <laughs> events out of things that aren't really events. Yeah. You know, we're like, we saw a baseball game. It was huge for us. Yeah.
2: We made a whole segment that ends every episode about just things that we're thinking about (laughs) that are relevant somehow.
1: A power ranking. However, the reason that I'm talking about the word momentous probably a little bit too much at the top of the baseball podcast is because this is the first time we're recording in person together since spring of 2018. And I feel like it's pretty fucking momentous. That's pretty momentous. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the same place. We have two microphones in the same room. God damn! It's great to see you. It is. It's it's a little weird. Like I'm kind of thrown off. You know, like you're so used to just being able to
2: like lay back, clear your yeah, throat, do whatever I want. Mic. Like you know, if you start going on a tangent, like yelling about like the Mets or something, I can go just to the bathroom. <laughs> damn, you're really scrolling Twitter <laughs> I'm while I'm ranting about
1: the Mets.
2: <laughs> Bobby's like instant
1: replay, and I'm like, I need another drink. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt my feelings in the first two minutes of the podcast. Um, we're back in the same place, and coincidentally enough, it's been two years since we started this podcast. Actually, to the day, two years since we put out I think episode one. Yeah, episode- or maybe episode zero was a couple of days earlier. But episode zero was like a trailer. We just named yeah, it, it episode count. zero, like we didn't really know how to make a podcast back then. Yeah, it was J- more like July, a
2: test. July thirty-one. That's yeah, it. Baby.
1: happy birthday, Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> and also my friend Sam, who doesn't listen to this podcast. Um. And so, I thought it might be a good idea for us to kind of have a little bit more of a free-flowing discussion about the things that we, in the last two years, like the things that we have thought about most and which of those things have changed, which of those things haven't changed, and which things we find ourselves thinking about more now that we've done a baseball podcast for two years and kind of engaged with this on like a borderline academic level. (laughs) Um, But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Faisley. And this... All right, Alex, let's get into it. I'm going to start us off. We are going to have a very special segment with two very special guests uh, in the middle of this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to that, but you and I are going to bullshit our way through a segment about the last two years of our podcast together first. Are you ready? <laughs> way to sell it to the listener. <laughs> we're never, we've never been selling it to the listener. We named the podcast tipping pitches. We're yeah. telling people what we're going to talk about. We
2: end every episode by saying,
1: so none of you probably made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The thing that I think has changed the most in the last two years for me, at least in my brain is the, hysteria surrounding changing the rules of baseball like the literal written down rules of how the game is played on a day-to-day basis the hysteria is at a fever pitch now and i feel like two years ago when we started this podcast and maybe we just weren't engaging with it on this level but i feel like more of the conversations that we were having were like about whether we whether we can craft players into personalities like whether we um, who are the most interesting players to us and who is up and coming and who's really good. We're having a boom of young talent. And now I feel like that stuff is sort of ancillary to what the actual conversation around baseball is. And the actual conversation around baseball is like, should we have a three batter minimum? Should we have robot umpires? Should we? And that's sort of become like the main attraction, which is really weird to me. Uh, I think you're right
2: about that because I find myself Having more, and more. I, I, I think that a lot of it is kind of the t- trajectory of the game itself, and how rapidly things have changed just over the last few years. Whether that's looking at something like um, the juiced ball. Or the way that analytics is. I have the juice ball written down as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way that analytics is like influencing decisions and conversations about like the shift and whether we should ban it. I think that like these really high concept ideas have seeped into the game so quickly that like I find myself having conversations about these things like more than like just Mike Trout or the like the best players in the game and uh, people who maybe are not as big of a baseball fan as myself will like, you know, ask me, be like, so like, so like, what do you think about like robot umpires or like the juice ball? Like, do you like it? Are the home runs good for baseball? And I'm like, this is such a bizarre conversation to be (laughs) having about this sport. Like, is this thing fundamental to the game? Like actually good for it or not?
1: Yeah. We use the phrase high concept, which I think is a really good way to describe it. Like, Pretty much every conversation. I mean, we're part of this. Like, we have a lot of high concept conversations about the way not that to like pat ourselves on the back or anything. I, I think <laughs> high concept is maybe a bad thing. Like, <laughs> I think high concept about a thing that's supposed to be a game is maybe a bad thing. But I thought you were going to go the other way when you started to say that. You find yourself having conversations with people who are maybe not as large fans. And in my head, I was like, I find myself having conversations with people who are not as big baseball fans and they don't follow it as closely as me. And they come up to me and they're like, you're a big baseball fan, right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, who's going to win the world series this year. And I'm like, I haven't even thought about it at all. But if you want to ask me about instant replay, we could be here for 30 more minutes. You know that as good as anyone. You made fun of me at the beginning of this podcast for that. But I don't really think about like, and, and because like, We probably shouldn't think about like who's really going to win the World Series this year because it's pretty much a crapshoot to try to predict that kind of stuff. And it's fun, and you and I are not experts in that respect. But that definitely is like a back. There is a backseatism to all of the like actual talk about the game, and it it manifests itself a a little bit differently in basketball, where it's like the rumor mill and trades and NBA Twitter have kind of like taken a front seat. But in baseball, it's like it's that same trend of like. The game itself taking a backseat. However, the things that are replacing it are like all negative. It's like how much are players getting paid? Should we change the rules of baseball? Is baseball dying? Once this contract is up, once this TV contract is up, are people even going to watch this sport anymore? Are they going to be replaced with like beach volleyball? And I, not to be like too like doomsdayy, but like it's pretty pretty bad for the sport like writ large to have us only talking about like. Negative things that are replacing the actual game that we're watching. It is interesting how much these
2: ideas have been litigated in the public eye. Like to have the literal commissioner of your sport come out and say, Hey, we're like tossing around the idea of these few really drastic rule changes. We're going to publicly experiment with a robot umpire or putting a runner on second base to start an inning, you know, in like the 10th inning or something like that. And to ha- to like wage all these battles in such a public manner feels like it like you're saying it's i think it's more harmful than anything else because you have this kind of hysteria that's drummed up and you you open yourself up to columnists being able to write about how like baseball is dying you know mm-hmm. and coupled with these with like dropping figures in attendance and that sort of thing, it's very easy to like zoom out and just be like, this sport has no idea what the fuck it's doing. And it's probably true, (laughs) but you didn't have to say it like that. And it's also not helped by the fact that you have figureheads for the sport, whether it's Rob Manfred or whether it's people sitting in the broadcast booth consistently talking about how the sport is dying. It's like, well, yeah. But then.
1: also talking about how the sport is dying because it's not staying the same enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And and not to be like, baseball should be basketball again. For like the millionth <laughs> time on this, on this <laughs> podcast. this don't know. It hasn't changed in the last two years. <laughs> us talking about baseball, baseball being basketball. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I don't think the NBA is immune to a lot of these problems, though, right? Because like, there are plenty of people and old basketball types who are like, there's way too many threes. Like, this isn't the game that I know. And Adam Silver has talked about changing rules. Like, he's floated the the dreaded four-point line. And he's talked about, like, changing the timeout structure and even, like, reseeding the playoffs, which is, like, pretty fucking radical concept. Like, way more radical than anything that Rob Manfred has ever floated. But... When that happens in basketball, people maybe get like a little offended by it. People maybe are like, ah, I don't think that really needs to change. I think we'll like work through this era. And people are pretty rational about it, all in all. But when that happens baseball, it's like, oh, there goes baseball again. They're tripping over their own feet. Like they don't know what they are, and they don't know what they are specifically like in 2019 and beyond.
2: Yeah, it's just this kind of bizarre idea that. Baseball has to remain this kind of static concept, and you have to, it has to be like easily defined when it's like these things are all very fluid. And maybe it's part of the fact that like baseball is older than a lot of the other like main sports. And so it's so much rooted in its like past
1: and its history, its legacy, and it's so high and mighty. Yeah. And it's like baseball is not baseball, baseball is poetry. right? Right.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I think a lot of it just goes back to like, it's baked into the fabric of the sport that it was always going to be resistant to change. Right.
1: You and me sitting here being like, maybe baseball shouldn't be so high and mighty. Meanwhile, we're like, maybe planning our back tattoos of the, of the speech and field of dreams. (laughs) Baseball. (laughs) Um, okay. I, so that was, that was like my big top thought for what feels the most differently? I Did you have something ri- different written down? Yeah, so this is one that I feel like I have periodically kind of noticed
2: over the last year or two, just kind of, especially like consuming baseball media and not to get like too in the weeds with like stuff we talk about all the time on this podcast, but I think it's how much the discourse has shifted in terms of how we look at like, MLB's salary um, system, like how it's built, and more specifically, Mm -hmm. or I guess actually more broadly, how the power (laughs) dynamics play out um, in, in baseball and looking at like owners having leverage over GMs, having leverage over players. Right. That like the concept of service time manipulation, like a few years ago even, I think was like this thing that- The Google trend of it? Yeah, uh, yeah, honestly. I mean, I feel like we started talking about it, what? When like Chris
1: Bryant- was uh was when the cubs radicalized a, Chris Bryant. Yeah. And now he's like bring down the ownership structure of baseball.
2: Yeah, actually. And it was kind of this thing, it's like, oh, the Cubs are doing what? And obviously it's illegal. Chris and Bryant was
1: the first time I remember thinking about service time manipulation. And I now, was like in college. But
2: now you will see Ken Rosenthal writing an article about how the J- the Blue Jays are going to manipulate Vlad Junior's service time and, and not using that him, phrasing. And yeah. literally yeah using that very specific phrasing. And so I think that's been a really fascinating shift for me. And, and you you can expand that to, um, discussions around like paying minor leaguers more. Yeah. And just kind of looking at like actually how this system is structured against the very people who play this game. Like maybe it's just because I wasn't as plugged in a few years ago, but I do think that like that, like the Overton window has shifted, so to speak, in terms of how we just look
1: at that. Yeah. Well, I think like. You maybe wouldn't have found like a baseball economics class anywhere in the world five years ago and you might now. Like the the idea that it's this unique financial market is not a new one, but the discussion of it at lower levels of baseball fandom, I think, is new. You had people writing books about this stuff, like, you know, Lords of the Realm, which is kind of about like how you're about to say money, Paul. I swear to you. <laughs> Hey, moneyball ever take, heard of it <laughs> <laughs> take a shot if you've uh, if we say that we haven't read moneyball yet although I read moneyball I read and I forgot to bring it for you by the way sorry Um, it's okay you don't need to read it you lived it <laughs> <laughs> it didn't turn out well <laughs> Um, shout out Billy Bean come on tipping pitches Uh, no I think like people were writing about how the economic structure became this way People were documenting what Bud Selig was doing. A, a lot of like the pop columnists at the time were like buddy buddy with Bud Selig, so it wasn't part of the general discourse. But now, like, I hate to be like, Twitter changed the way we talk about these things. But Twitter changed the way we talk about these things. Like, there were enough bloggers, there were enough people tweeting, there were enough team site writers that were like, "Damn, what are the Cubs doing to Chris Bryant? It would really help if he was up right now." He missed. 12 days of the season that's weird did he become a better defender in 12 days and you just maybe didn't get that much of an of an immediate response 20 years ago 10 years ago five years ago to all this stuff but I think now you do and I think people jump to that conclusion almost immediately that this economic system of baseball is pretty uniform among all 30 teams and we can pretty much safely say like everyone is fucking
2: up pretty bad It is pretty funny. You can kind of see, you can like very viscerally see public opinion shift on this thing. Because like two thousand four, everyone's like the A's. Whoa, this is really cool. (laughs) Two thousand sixteen, everyone's like, what? Hang on a second. (laughs) (laughs) I feel as though I've
0: been duped.
2: (laughs) And and you're right. Like it's like that decentralization of media and just the ability to have these conversations whether it's on Twitter whether it's on team sites like SB Nation who like have their own share of issues in terms of like labor
1: practices labor practices and
2: <laughs> and, and just even like holding up um some archaic notions around baseball but the fact that there are just so many more avenues through which we can have these conversations i think ha- plays a massive role
1: in just how we are able to to view these things unfolding. Well, it's interesting that the decentralization of media has made us more cynical because you would think maybe the decentralization of media would create more positive communities around which we can root for people like Mike Trout, you know? And it feels like that maybe hasn't happened. Like one of the things I have written down for things that have changed the least is... Baseball's fraught relationships with its stars and who they want them to be and who they try to market themselves as or and who they try to who baseball tries to market those stars as, you know, there's this been there's been this campaign going for Mike Trout and I feel like he probably bears an unfair amount of the burden of this conversation over what baseball stars mean to the world and their global recognition. You know, like he's just he's him. He's only one guy. He can't, like, change it all by himself. He's not going to be an instant icon like Magic Johnson or whatever. But that's something that, like, really has not evolved. In the last two years, like, we haven't figured anything out at all. And it really takes a special type of person to kind of break through that ceiling of baseball stars are boring. You know, it takes Francisco Lindor. It takes Javi Baez. Like, these are not normal guys they are far more interesting guys than like the typical NBA star who's thought of as like fun. Like what the fuck has Paul George ever done? His name recognition in the world is a billion times better than Francisco Lindor. But all he ever did was like have a good hairline and play one good series against LeBron in 2012. He has not done anything. He has a signature shoe. A signature shoe. And Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor are like actually interesting and fun and kind of like revolutionary within the culture of their sport. And I just feel like over the last few years, like we haven't gone anywhere on that. And I don't really know how we do change that.
2: I mean, what I'll say is I, I'm not pushing back on your assertion, but I also I hope you will. <laughs> I want you to <laughs>
1: Let's get after it. I also think Race debate Trevor Bauer, I think, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
2: I think there's a certain readjustment of like our, that needs to happen in terms of our expectations of what we even want baseball players to be like we're there's never going to, I, I can't say never, but just in terms of like the, the space that like basketball occupies in the, in the culture versus the space that baseball occupies in the culture. Like you're not going to have someone who reaches like LeBron levels of just like cultural relevancy. Um, That's like, I don't know, it c- in baseball, you know? Um, and I don't think that's necessarily something that's like we can quote unquote do or like make happen because, right. because a guy like Francisco Lindor or Javi Baez or, or Bryce Harper even is doing like everything that he can. And, and, you know, we talk about like how baseball is not. Bryce right. Harper is doing more than he can. He's trying very hard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, I,
1: I think we do a better job of marketing these guys than Major League <laughs> Baseball does. That's like two weeks ago when I said, like, Rob, cut the check for us being like <laughs> consultants for Major League Baseball and how to fix it. But I also think it's kind of like, there's so much hand-wringing that's
2: done over like, baseball isn't popular enough. Like, why doesn't why isn't Mike Trout's Instagram presence more interesting? And it's just kind of like, because that's who he is. And at a certain point, You just kind of have to be okay with that. Like baseball is so much like fan bases are so much more regional and it's, as we said five minutes ago, it's so much more rigid and kind of steeped in its history and more resistant to change. And so expecting its stars to just kind of have this overnight, um, blossoming into these world class celebrities is just like, not going to happen and at the end of the day like maybe that's okay
1: yeah yeah well I think maybe that's okay is probably a pretty good mindset to have with this because I, I think I'm I'm pretty jealous of like the way people talk about basketball versus the way people talk about baseball because I I love them equally I'm a huge basketball fan as well and I feel like people kind of pity me for liking baseball when I'm talking about it and I'm like It's, like, still fun for me, guys. Like, Like, it's (laughs) fun. I'm enjoying this. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, have you watched, like, Matt Chapman? Like, that dude is awesome. (laughs) Um, But I think maybe the thing we don't engage with enough on this podcast when we're, like, baseball should be basketball is, like, corporations and media outlets have appropriated black culture in the NBA and tried to make that into, like, the culture. And they just kind of, like, cut the, the black culture out of it. And baseball by its very nature is extremely white. So like MLB has had a harder time doing that. And there have been certainly moments where they've tried and failed very hardly on MLB branded social media platforms. Like I'm sure you've DM would me a few tweets that have been deleted. And I'm like, what was that? And you're like, you send me a screenshot later. And you're like a very bad attempt <laughs> at engaging with a culture they're trying to appropriate. And it's probably a good thing that MLB is not doing that. Um, And it's definitely a bad thing that they don't even have the representation within the, within their player base to do it. But it's not all hunky dory when it comes to what basketball means in the culture. Like some, somewhere like Bleacher Report, like they're making an entire content farm out of just like appropriating language and culture and the roots of basketball in communities. And baseball doesn't do that. So maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> it's pretty much <laughs> baseball, a watch. Baseball, you're doing something right? <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, it's also just like, it's a functionally different sport. Like it's a lot harder to, <laughs> breaking, baseball is different than basketball. <laughs> like it's just, you consume it in such different ways. And so trying to draw parallels at the end of the day is just like, it It doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah. Second screen baseball. It's fine. It's fine. Scroll Twitter. It's like third straight week you've been like so. Uh, second stream. Second screen baseball. I will pound this in the fucking ground. I will trademark this. Okay. Um. I think that is just about enough for us at the for the opener of this show that where we're getting um, what you might call high concept about baseball. <laughs> um. The last thing I had written down here was uh for things that have changed the least. Uh, regressive masculinity, but we're going to get into that very heavily in the next segment. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we kind of transition out of this? Biggest thing on the field that's changed in the last two years, position
2: players pitching was so fun two years ago. (laughs) Now it's the most boring goddamn thing in the world. I know. I do not care. It's like, (laughs) why am I watching a Little League blowout? Cut four, I love you,
1: but you're just like Twitter thread of every time a position player is pitching. I'm like okay I thought it was funny when they were like reckoning with themselves before the season started like should we do this again like it it (laughs) happened more than we thought we were gonna have it in the last season like it became a strategy and then all of a sudden everyone was like well this isn't fun anymore yeah it's it's very at this point it's kind of like the more fun version of like the baseball beat writer tweeting when there's a pitching change (laughs) okay let's take let's take a quick break All right, Alex, this is a long awaited segment of the tipping pitches podcast. You could say that it's been two years in the making, kind of like this entire podcast. So, uh, we've mentioned in passing that we don't have a ton of people who listen to our podcast who don't actually know us, but two of those people who maybe don't always listen religiously, but are at least very supportive of the process that we have going here are our significant others, Phoebe Walsh and Gabriella Bauer, who are joining us here. Phoebe, hello. Hey, Gab, hello. Hi. So, Phoebe and Gabriella have made several requests to come on Tipping Pitches in the past with almost no idea of what segment to come on. Alex, we've been harangued multiple times about not bringing them on the podcast so far. So I thought maybe a good segment to do all together as a group would be if you were commissioner of baseball for a day, how would you change it? You have carte blanche to do whatever you need to do, whether that's changing the rules of baseball, whether that's changing the game experience, whether that's changing the larger culture worldwide of the sport, um, obviously within the scope of what the commissioner's office can do. So you and I, Alex, will share, I guess, one thought that we have on this as well, but we wanted to open the floor first to Gab and Phoebe. Gab and Phoebe, who wants to go first?
3: The thing is that I have one sentence to share, and um, I think we should just take the men and or toxic mas toxic masculinity out of baseball. Um I think that it limits the players. I think it limits the experience of fans. I think it limits the scope that baseball um opens itself up to in terms of audience.
2: Can I ask just for a little more clarity, so when you say take the men out of baseball <laughs>
3: I don't disagree, I but mean, I'm just kind
2: of curious. <laughs> I
3: literally mean, um, honestly, like
2: baseball, but make it women,
3: <laughs> major yeah. league softball, major league baseball, but let women play baseball or, uh, not cis heterosexual men.
1: So I think that that was the question that I was going to ask is like, what is the practical application of that? But I think we got there eventually. So just open it up where it's accessible to not only men to be allowed to play in Major League Baseball.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's never made any sense to me why softball is kind of... I mean, men can play softball and they can play baseball, but women can only play softball.
2: And I think that, like, it's also a a structural thing, right? Like, going beyond just, like, the feel itself of the 18 people who are represented out there, but, like, who are in front offices and who are the ones making like marketing decisions and that sort of thing. Like Bobby, you and I talked the other day about that Atlanta Braves commercial and how it was the first time I had seen baseball explicitly marketed to non-men maybe ever. And so like, those are the sort of choices that start to get made when you start bringing varying viewpoints I guess into your organizational philosophy. And it's just kind of like, <laughs> why haven't you always done
1: this? But we know the answer to that, I guess. Can I ask like when you're at so we went to a baseball game today, We're recording this on a Sunday night? We went to the Mets Pirates game today. Um, when you're at a baseball game, do you feel ever feel at any point like within the nine innings that any of the things that are going on are for you, marketed for you? Like you know, we were out for drinks on a Saturday night or on a Friday night or whatever. And we're walking through like this kind of bougie little district of New York. And I'm looking around at all the shops. And there's like these open air bars and stuff. And I'm just like, wow, all of this stuff is targeted at me. All of this stuff I'm supposed to be interested in. When you're at a baseball game, are you like, this stuff is targeted towards me and I should like this?
3: Um, I wouldn't say that I feel excluded from like the culture of a baseball game I actually like that is one of the reasons that like I have like enjoyed attending baseball um even before like I was friends with you all um I just like the like the the vibes of a baseball game um but I do think that there are circumstances and I don't know like this isn't as much like MLB like cracking down on like culture but I think like being in an audience with a lot of like men generally and like their ways of being uh can sometimes be like unsettling um i was actually like scrolling through uh twitter this morning and a fun fact of being so close to uh the two hosts of this podcast is that my and also not engaging fully on twitter Beyond uh, a couple hundred followers, is that my timeline ends up being majority like Alex and Bobby's favorites and like baseball adjacent things, which is really interesting as somebody who really doesn't follow baseball aside from this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was this woman, she did like a short thread about le- leaving a baseball game and like walking through the parking lot and uh, just feeling like very unsettled and unsafe. And I think that a man like yelled at her. And I just think that like, Once again, this isn't like an MLB thing, but this is like a baseball culture and like toxic masculinity thing where um, there's never been anything about baseball that's like told its fans or its players or anyone involved in it that they need to act differently or that there are even repercussions for being hostile towards women.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think also just building off of that, just larger sports culture in general isn't necessarily the most welcoming to women in general, by and large. So it's not just like a problem to baseball culture, but I feel like sports culture. But then also thinking about just do I feel marketed to? I mean, as someone who's in marketing, like I feel like.
1: That's a fair point. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, you
1: are the expert here.
0: I'm hardly an expert, but I just feel like it's definitely very pragmatic what brands they're choosing and how they're marketing them at games. So, I mean, today at the Mets game… It was what Ford Motors was a sponsor of an on-field game? Then that weird in like in-between innings thing of the Warrior, and it, they had them dueling it out over pull-ups. is yeah, was that context, marketing to?
3: <laughs> the
1: the Mets do this thing where it's it's a relatively new thing. It might just be this season. Yeah, it might it's this season where one of the challenges between innings, uh, like the fan engagement challenges, is that. They have a like a strongman guy, I guess, for lack of better phrasing, uh, compete in physical activities, like workout activities. And a fan tries to compete against that person and see if they can beat them in the span of 30 seconds. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty masculine yeah. thing going on there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I will say, I mean, also growing up, going to baseball games at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I mean, it's very – it always, in my experience, has been very family-oriented. So a lot of the marketing was more general of Dunkin' Donuts, car races. They always got kids on the field. It was – I don't know what it was about it, but today it's definitely much more trying to – it's different. It doesn't have the same family feel, which we can get into later because that's another one of my points about uh, and uh <laughs> what I would change about baseball. But – my entire experience at Wrigley was always very family oriented. So I never felt like I was excluded because I always went with my family. So they were very much marketing to us.
2: So when you think about this idea of kind of removing that masculinity aspect, I mean, obviously there are much deeper like cultural implications and the way that like toxic masculinity is just a part of society and men and sports at large. But if we're talking of, if we're limiting our scope to like baseball
1: and like the experience of baseball, a, a, like and, going and, to a baseball game, watching baseball on TV, engaging with it on social media. Yeah. Kind w- of yeah. Thing. Whether
2: that's playing baseball or consuming it as a fan, what would you say would be those kind of like, how do you see that culture kind of starting to change? And obviously that it's not like one way, but like I, I think of. The young woman, Ashton Lansdell, who I think is her name, who, um, just committed to play college baseball and the news broke like, you know, a week or two ago. Um, and that's the kind of thing that like makes waves because you don't see young women doing that sort of thing. So do you think it's like a, like starting to see young women come through the pipeline or, or work their way into front offices or, All of the above. Obviously, we're not going to solve this problem right here in Brooklyn on Sunday night, but I'm kind of curious what you think that looks like.
0: I mean, I think starting with as early as where baseball kind of begins in a lot of people's lives, going to Little League and allowing co ed teams just and starting that integration and equality there, and then it bubbling up to the top of the MLB is then, you know, more open and accessible to. Both genders, or however you identify. I think that's where I would start pragmatically, would be in Little League and starting with a culture of openness and acceptance. Because at the end of the day, I mean, what she's doing is amazing and making waves, and it's because it's incredible and very unique. And so the more common occurrence, the more common it becomes in our culture, then the more accepted it would be.
3: Yeah. um, I feel like something that, you two talk a lot about when you're talking about uh these things of how do we change baseball or how do we affect make make this different is uh where where do you start? Do you start at the bottom with little league or do you start at the top? And like I'm kind of sitting in like a why can't we have both boat? Um, because I think that like it is possible both ways. Like I can't speak to uh how many twenty something female or non male uh baseball players are out there to just uh place into the f- place onto the field right now, but I do know that uh there are various roles in baseball that are not on the field that women are totally qualified to step in and do like tomorrow um and I think that it is about like creating those spaces and uh I think also like changing. Changing that marketing, like thinking very consciously. I don't know that I have an answer right now to like how to change the culture of baseball to make it feel like you are welcome in this space and like mo- like encouraged to participate in this space. But um, I think that like that is an aspect, just like putting women in jobs, uh, making little league co-ed, just like making it encouraging kids to like keep up girls to keep up
0: with that um, throughout their childhoods. Well, and I think, though, too, like what you guys are doing now, like, you know, having a podcast or just like sports broadcast in general. I mean, don't quote me on it, but I feel like it's very male dominated. I don't know, I couldn't name off the top of my head a female (laughs) sports broadcast journalist or just a lot of female sports writers. And they are out there, but I think just by and large, it's a very male dominated space. So even growing up and you're listening to an MLB game and your broadcaster is a woman on WGN. Like, I never growing up heard a woman talking about baseball. So I think even just allowing women to take up space in this space is still not by and large accepted. And I feel like that would be a good place to start too because even if you open these roles to women off the field, I mean, they're going to go into those spaces and not be welcome at all. So I wonder if even just consuming the media that women are putting out about sports would probably have a huge effect on like how you perceive women in relation to this world of sports.
3: Yeah. You definitely have to meet all of that inclusion with culture shifts and um, letting girls be girls and letting girls be whatever, whoever they are um, and not necessarily like tying the game. Like you guys talk all the time about – this game is like a game of masculinity and like players cannot have emotions, cannot like have fun with the game, cannot like go out of the lines that are drawn. Um, so I think that like
0: erasing those lines is important to this, but. And I also think, too, just not perpetuating that idea that just because a girl understands sports or likes sports, that makes her a cool girl because I hate that trope of like, oh, my God, you like sports or, oh, you're willing to go to a baseball game? Like, that's so cool. Just one of the guys. Yeah, you're such a bro. Well,
2: I think the media point is a really crucial one, too, right? Like, because so much of that – affects how you view like what's going on, like what's unfolding on the field itself. And just as far as like holding players accountable and teams accountable, like the media is kind of that wall of saying, um, has the platform and ability to put a sort of external pressure on the sport. And Bobby, you and I were talking earlier today about Trevor Bauer and how um so much of this kind of new age baseball media lionizes him and and makes him out to be this kind of um figurehead of the the new generation of savvy smart baseball players and is absolutely willing to overlook his online harassment of teenage girls and the way that he's talked about treating women women in the past And like he throws a weighted baseball. (laughs) Think about that. uh, You know, we are recording this on the day that he threw a tantrum on the mound and threw the baseball over the center field wall. And you have people coming out and being like, well, this is the thing that's going to like turn teams off from trading for him. And I'm like, this "This is the thing? thing? Really? And so actually having people who are able to represent those varying viewpoints and not just be, you know, a 65 year old white dude from behind the computer being like baseball was better when (laughs) Ted Williams was hitting four Oh five. Yeah. And the game wasn't integrated. Yeah.
0: I think it's no coincidence that the me too movement didn't really have the similar groundswell that it did like in Hollywood In like it, the me too movement didn't meet sports or baseball because women don't take up space or that much space in that industry. So I think it's no coincidence that the Me Too movement didn't move over to that industry where there's just as many issues as there are in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Okay, so Phoebe started off with take the domineering force of men out of baseball. Men. (laughs) Um, Gab, what is your... I guess it doesn't have to be a one-sentence hot take like Phoebe's was, but she was ready with the... The uh, the soundbite. So what's what's your next one? What are you kicking it off with?
0: Um, I would change how much they're paid. Their okay, salaries. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um,
1: do you want to explain more?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know we're. I'm going to try and limit to baseball, but I think it's also emblematic just of professional athletes in general. In MLB, you know, the NBA, it's just you're paying. These men so much money and the repercussions of it, just how it perpetuates this hero, com- like this God complex, how it perpetuates toxic masculinity. I mean, the overt, like, capitalistic gains of just this position, you know, like, and just how much power this money gives you. I have a huge problem with, and it's not just limited to baseball, but. I think when you talk about trades and I mean, I don't keep up with it, but just when you're talking about negotiating hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, just for one person, that's pretty insane to me. And then also just at the very base of it, I mean, you're commodifying these people, too, which I take issue with.
1: So a couple follow ups on that. (laughs) from principle, all of us sitting at this table probably feel like no one should be making that much money just in all of society writ large. Um, I think that's pretty safe to say a lot of the listeners of this podcast probably feel that way as well. Um, I guess my question would be like, what would you do with all of that money? Because it still exists somewhere within the community of Major League Baseball. Like These teams are still raking in money. And I think the thing that um, Alex and I talk about a lot is that like, if it's not going to the players, it's going to the owners. And they are worse people and have more of the God complex and more of the toxic ma- toxic masculinity and more of the um, like mustache-twirling capitalist instincts that these baseball players probably don't have. So where is, that, where is that money going in your head? If you're a commissioner and you're like, I can divert this now. I have this 24-hour window to make this decision, executive order.
0: Um, I would put it back into the communities in which these players are coming from, whether that's in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. I know there's a lot of international players, especially a lot from Latin America, um, putting money back into those communities to increase access to the sport. Because if you're in the sport for your, you know, your pure love of it, why not want to give back to the communities that raised you? And I think… Putting that foot forward and making baseball, which in particular is a very expensive sport to play throughout your life if you really love it. I mean, just the equipment alone or if you want to join a travel team, just trickling the money down to make the sport more accessible to anyone who wants to play it.
3: Gab and I were uh, brainstorming together earlier today and something that we were talking about uh, in addition to this was uh, like where stadiums exist. and. um I think that that is another like community that you could place this money. Um, I think that you all talk a lot about where baseball stadiums exist and how they're built and how where they're placed is decided. And um, I think we all know that they usually end up being a quote uh, revitalization of certain neighborhoods which is uh, something to unpack generally. Um, if you are placing a giant complex in a space, you are more than likely displacing and or pushing people out. Um, in addition to making that space more ex- more expensive, less accessible, um, and harder to maintain a life in. Um, and so returning that money to those communities and surrounding communities, where people who are displaced from that neighborhood may now
0: be living um I think is strong, and we just have a lot of money to work with too, so I'd say let's give it to all of the women and or families that were hurt by these men of you know there's we've heard stories about countless players who have done things to women that aren't so great, so let's uh give them some money as well.
3: Yeah, we didn't even get
0: into that when we were talking about taking men out of baseball. Should we circle back, Phoebe? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and you raised a really interesting point, Gab, about the idea of how players are commodified and the 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 like dollar values that are placed on players and you could argue that um a, a guy who runs around admittedly looking incredibly good in tight pants, but all he does is hit a baseball. Uh, maybe he shouldn't make $300 million a year, but that also the thousands of players who work for pennies in the minor leagues or like you said, the the players who come uh, from Latin American countries who make a fraction of of the uh the investment the teams see them as, um, that, that money should be diverted to them. So absolutely this idea of kind of how um how teams see players in relation to like the the value that they bring to their teams is a a really interesting point. I mean nationalize it, y'all.
1: Just, just <laughs> <I know. laughs> let make it happen. <laughs> when <laughs> you guys were describing it, I was like, I was thinking like This might require maybe a few larger changes society wide, like with redistributed. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for pushing this this podcast even further left.
3: Yeah, uh, we're only coming in with a burn down the house (laughs) takes. It
1: it seems that way because, like, so we were prepping for this. I was writing some stuff down on the subway on the way over here, and you know, in case in case we didn't go long enough on. What y'all had shared it was like maybe Alex and I will share a couple of things as well. But we talk about this all the time, so it's not really necessary. But like my things were like make food cheaper, <laughs> <I'm stadium>. like, <laughs> universal dH <laughs> <laughs> I, Well, that actually, I that is
2: also a part of it, right? Which is like yeah, actually making the game physically more accessible to families who want to go. I mean, the pricing out of families from baseball games. Uh, Yeah, you bring up Gab like Wrigley being a family experience and so much of that is like people actually just being able to afford to go to the game which so many people can't these days.
1: Or if they are affording to the game it has to be like eventized right like they have to plan their entire month around it because like rent is coming or utilities are coming and it's a thing that baseball by nature because there's 162 games a year in a 365 day year is should not be something that you can only go to from time to time. Otherwise, you just can't engage with it in the way that it's meant to be engaged with. And I think a lot of the I think anxiety around pace of play and eyes on the sport and interest in these players comes from the fact that like people just don't have the money to engage with them on any kind of regular basis and like hang with them. Like I think Mike Trout is probably a pretty good hang if you get to watch him. 60 times a year you know like I think almost anyone would be like yeah this is fucking great but like if you only get to go once and you're like he went one for four with a single you're like obviously he's really great but like I only got to see him do XYZ and I can sort of sympathize with the fact that you might not think he's as interesting as like LeBron who you maybe got to go see one time and he dunked on someone like it it does make sense to me it frustrates me but it is kind of that thing that you're talking about like if it's not marketed towards families and it's not available to them on a regular basis like a game a sport with that many games is just like not going to be interesting to people because what does one out of 162 games really mean unless you're going with like friends and family
0: no i totally agree and i think these last couple of years i've found i mean i love going to every baseball game but i found myself preferring honestly the minor leagues just because of how accessible it is just ticket wise, you know, as students going to minor league games was way cheaper than even, I mean, depending on the game, it was cheaper than going to an MLP. MLB game. And then also just the culture there. I mean, it's, you see a lot more families and friends going big groups, um, just school groups, even. I just love the culture in the minor leagues. And so then learning about all of the pay discrepancies there that we were just talking about with the minor league players, how they're being paid nothing. And just, it just feels more like a community to me and accessible. And that's what I love about the minor leagues. Just even the fan engagement stuff in between innings is literal people standing on the like third and first baselines. And that's just so fun to me.
2: Definitely feels like less of a corporate product that's specifically designed to make money. Yeah.
3: Minor league games feel like the farthest thing from a corporate product, in my opinion. <laughs> they they have like no budget going into those programs or any of that programming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it uh, keeps us all humbled. And I mean, well, you go to a Yankees game and everyone's there flexing in their suits after a work game. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. There's a lot there just even. And I think professional sporting events in general have become kind of this status level that we were, t- I mean, you know, if you you can just go on a casual Tuesday night after work to a game and you're rolling up in your suit, I mean, you're at a certain level and I think it's just become this, another commodity that you can flex of a, a certain status and
1: yeah i think that the idea of going on a casual tuesday night is the fact that that's a flex is kind of the root of like most of the problems that we're talking about because if if you are the person that is going on a casual tuesday night like i think alex and i are probably those people right like you're a diehard like we do a bi- baseball podcast weekly that we don't get paid to do and we are the type of people that would go on a casual tuesday but like Nobody really like goes alone and like hangs because it's like it's an event and it costs you a lot of money, and especially if you're going alone, right? Like I live in LA now, like I have to drive to the game and parking is $25. I'm not splitting that with anyone if I'm going to the game alone. Like, or if I'm going with one other person, like it's still a lot of money. So the idea of going to the baseball, going to a baseball game as a corporate flex is just really tough to conceptualize, but it's extremely real. And Yankee Stadium is the true blue example of that. Um okay, all that being said, um I don't want to hijack the your entire night. So, are there any last couple things that you guys had on your lists that you wanted to throw in there before we get out of here? Or were those kind of your two largest takeaways?
0: I don't know. Well, I just feel like I have to add in the caveat that I'm someone who grew up going to baseball games and a huge part of I feel like who I am and a lot of my childhood memories and a lot, like a lot of my memories with Alex and our relationship revolve around this world of baseball. So I have all of these issues with it and when you do a close look at it, it's hard to reckon with all of this stuff while still accepting that this is just such a huge part of my life and I love it, but also there's all of these other issues and what can I do? to I mean Phoebe and I were talking about it earlier like how do I become a conscious consumer of baseball <laughs> which is I think something we could explore for a up segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though.
1: All right, follow up segment. It's we'll we'll book it soon after this. Thank you both so much for sharing your revisions to the game of baseball. Baseball follow-up. I I would go further than revisions. <laughs> we burned it down. <laughs> Reformations <laughs> maybe. Um baseball we love you but you're bringing us down all right three up three down first three up three down in person Great moment yeah I can look at you as you scramble and try to figure out what's going to come off your list <laughs> instead of imagining what's going on from the other side of the phone um kick us off this week. Three things coming off my list. Mike's on players on the field. And I think MLB maybe doesn't want me to think about that because they only do it during the All-Star game and that was a while ago. Um, I had Robinson Cano, PEDs, hand injuries, and aging. Is that under one? Yeah, that was all one thing. <laughs> it was just like the the swirl of talk about Cano as like maybe the most hated Met ever. Yeah. <laughs> or like the most hated Met in a long time since Jason Bay probably. And then the third thing, I chuckled when I was deciding to remove this off my list because this was a stupid thing to even put on my list anyway. It was an excuse to ask you a dumb question because I like dumb hypotheticals. Would tennis players playing baseball be better than baseball players playing tennis? (laughs) I love that you really engaged with that question when I asked it to you on the podcast like three weeks ago. You were like, I'm really going to think about this. You were like talking about swing trajectories, <laughs> like reaction time, like speed of serve. I mean, now I kind of want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can make that happen. Okay. What's coming off your list? First thing on
2: my list is Matt Chapman's music taste. Ooh, yeah.
1: That was a good one. Tough, tough look for my guy. Matt Chapman would have loved karaoke with us last night.
2: True. Matt Chapman, make me a playlist, please. <laughs> uh Second thing off my list, Robot Ump's. Even though I should be thinking about it more because like they're rolling it out more, I'm just kind of like, fine, okay. They Did you see this the other day? They stopped the middle of a game to take a picture and swap out the umpire's AirPods because they were taking them to the Hall of Fame. Oh, because it was the first time it ever happened? Yeah, I guess so. What are we doing? Extremely dumb sport.
1: Airpods to the (laughs) Hall of Fame, Cooperstown. What are they? Did they like mail them? I put them in a little envelope. Imagine just like being there and witnessing that moment, man. That's big. It's baseball history. Next time I go to the Hall of Fame, I will make sure I seek out Airpods. Airpods. That's really dumb. Okay. What's that? What's what else? Last thing off my list is
2: uh is Albert (laughs) Pujols.
1: Totally already off your list.
2: I don't know anything else. <laughs> Everything else is off my list at this point. I don't know what you want from me. Whatever, break the rules. <laughs> it's so late. The Lonely Island, maybe that's already off too. cycling through. I have a Rod pooping.
1: That's the, the, that's back on and off. <laughs> Let's go that way. All right, Bobby. What's uh what's going up for you this week? <laughs> I just didn't answer. Okay. Um. What's going up for me this week is number one. Marcus Stroman, just the guy. I'm thinking about Marcus Stroman, the guy. Uh, Loyal listeners of this podcast will know that I had Marcus Stroman on this list actually like six weeks ago when he got into an argument kind of publicly with Dennis Eckersley. Um, But I am now thinking about Marcus Stroman for a different reason. And that reason is, of course, the Mets traded their two top pitching prospects, Anthony Kaye and Simeon Woods-Richardson, for him. I still have conflicted feelings about this trade. I probably need to sleep on it and see what they do by the end of this week before I really tell, I really can tell how I feel about this trade. But we're recording this on a Sunday. This podcast is not coming out until Wednesday. We're not going to do like rumor milling. I am thinking about Marcus Stroman a lot. There's no way he cannot be on this list. And for what it's worth, I really like him. He's fun yeah. and pretty good. Not as good as Noah Syndergaard, but pretty good at baseball. And, um, it's good to have good players, just maybe not at the cost of not having any good players three years from now.
2: It was literally like, you have never done better
1: analysis on this <laughs> podcast than it's good to have good players. <laughs> Sometimes certain people need to be reminded of that. <laughs> Listen, if it, if everyone knew that it was good to have good players, it wouldn't have taken so fucking long for Craig Kimbrell to be on the Cubs. And Dallas Keuchel to be on the Braves. A hey, wage depression baby. Woo. <laughs> okay, what's what are you adding on? Um, so we're
2: recording this right before the trade deadline, and so like you said, we can't do rumor mill. Talk because like it's going to be woefully outdated by the time this podcast. You know everyone goes loves up. when
1: we do rumor mill talk. So I'm <laughs> sorry, everyone's bummed. We're just reading our Twitter timeline. <laughs> hey, Ken Rosenthal just tweeted this. Um, I've it on Good Authority that Ken Rosenthal tweeted
2: about a trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's this larger idea that teams have to basically make a decision at the trade deadline about whether they are buyers or sellers. And it's like, yeah. some teams can just do, do <laughs> neither. Some teams can just be like, you know what? I, I think it was the Tigers who did this a few years ago and they did it poorly, but their GM went into the offseason and basically said, this isn't a rebuilding year. We just kind of want to hit the reset button a little bit. So love that phrase. Yeah. We're just going to like push and pull from the edges a little bit. And then we'll go into next year rejuvenated. Like you don't have to tear it all down to make it past the trade deadline or just go all in like chips in the middle of the table like you can just be like we have a pretty good team and we're probably not going to win this year but we'll try
1: and then we'll do the same thing next year and that's fine if you can entertain a little bit of front office bullshit from me for a sec you can't do that because complacency is what gets gms fired and i think that's stupid like granted like what you talked about earlier on this podcast about owners having power over gms having power over players is exactly what we're talking about here in a maybe less impactful sense but the idea of a tear down and a rebuild is almost i mean it is a good plan if you're like actually bad and you want to do what the astros did obviously it's a good plan it worked out for them right and it's worked out for countless teams in countless sports but i think maybe like 7 it's like a 70 30 split between um this is just good for the GM keeping their job and this is actually a good plan, you know? Yeah, it's easy to sell a rebuild, right? Like, I'm the guy who tore it down, so I need to be the guy to build it back up. I guess. Like I'm Machiavellian in this way.
2: Yeah, so Brody Van Wagenen comes in as like, I'm going to leave my mark in this organization by trading the star pitcher. Like
1: No, he's tinkering. He's doing what you're talking he's about. He's tinkering. See, right, this conversation takes on a different tone if he trades Noah Syndergaard, but like... Well, what no, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Right, but he... Tinkered this offseason, and he tinkered with not as much money as he should have been allowed to tinker with. Of yeah. course, because it's the Wilpons. But it's not like he traded Degrom with and didn't extend him. You know that yeah. that's kind of like the t- total teardown rebuild. Because Degrom's value was insanely high in the offseason. He had a one eight ERA last year and was willing to sign an extension. But you're right, Stan Pat. Man, I tried to say that to you earlier today about Stroman. Yeah. It just I, didn't need to happen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like why did it take the Giants until the middle of July to be like, actually maybe we won't
1: trade our best player. Like <laughs> like our three best players. Um uh, you're all right,
2: right, next on your list.
1: Uh next on my list is the hit tool as an inefficiency. Ooh, here we go. Yes. Um <laughs> we've Moneyball is maybe like an underlying text of this podcast without us ever actually explicitly talking about it as a text. But I think like at the risk of sounding a little bit like Pete Rose right now, um, like people just don't think that Jeff McNeil is as good as he actually is. And he's hitting like three fifty. and it's been much talked about on this podcast, how much I uh, had to re-engage with fantasy baseball as a concept. And so I was thinking a lot about like prospects and keeper leagues and like Who is really going to pan out? Like, What is the most indicative thing of who's going to become a good baseball player? And it's like, well, if the dude can get the bat on the ball, now more than ever, because the ball just flies out of the stadium for almost no reason, it's like, maybe he's going to be good because he can do the part of offense that makes you good. Sorry for my very basic analysis in the last five minutes of this podcast, but why do we not value that more? As a staunch defender of Joey Gallo, please support the other side.' Three your <laughs> <three> outcomes.
2: <laughs> the thing is,
1: why I, not both <laughs> i
2: uh it's yeah i mean it's it's easy to just be like just get the good players, get the players who you know are gonna hit, and so like I understand getting the toolsy guys, and I just like because like but like I, that's that's fun because you can dream on them and you can be like if it. If it hits, like, maybe he's Ken Griffey Jr. But if he doesn't, and if you don't have a track record of making that thing work,
1: like, maybe just try something different. Yep. Like, for once. Maybe just, like, trust the fact that Jeff McNeil can get the bat on the ball all the time instead of hoping that Ahmed Rosario won't chase the slider out in a way. (laughs) Tough stuff. Okay, what's up next?
2: Oh, speaking of Jeff McNeil. Love that guy. Let's talk about Jeff McNeil.
1: Oh, you got um, another Jeff McNeil thing. Are you like? Do you have tweet notifications set up for Jeff McNeil? You keep coming to me with new stories about him that I probably haven't heard. Oh, I've, you've heard this one.
2: Okay. I, I know you've heard. This. In fact, we talked about this earlier today, which is basically like this podcast. Essentially, is being like we talked, we talked about this about earlier.
1: This
2: earlier. <laughs> um, Jeff McNeil a couple nights ago hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And following the game, he uh he told reporters that the reason that he hit said home run was because he held a puppy. Earlier in the day. And so he told his wife that if he wants to hit more home runs going forward, that she should let them adopt a puppy. And uh and McNeil said, quote, It's not about me, <laughs> it's about the puppy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is it, my guy? <laughs> it sounded like it's about you.
2: Um, anyway, uh so to uh to follow up on that story uh, McNeil said, uh, "We're going to go see the puppy again tomorrow. We'll talk." But hitting a home run after holding a puppy, <laughs> I think it gives me a little bargaining chip. Uh, <laughs> if my wife wants more homers, then we have to get a puppy. And uh it, it's all about the puppy, man. He just kept saying those words. And guess what? He and his wife went and did. They got a puppy. They got a freaking puppy,
1: man. Hell yeah! So um, I want to, I want to raise the hottest of hot Phil Mushnick title belt take. That I saw on this on Twitter today, and I don't know who it was, and I don't know if it was serious. I just read it scrolling past it, and I didn't engage with it because I was afraid of it. But the take was, maybe Jeff McNeil shouldn't be asking his wife's permission to get a puppy if it helps him be a better baseball player. (laughs) Phil Mushnick thought of that take when he was 16, put it in the oven for 60 years, and took it back out, and it became that take.
2: I mean, here's the thing is... Mets manager Mickey Calloway basically said that and said, what kind of man has to ask his wife for a puppy?
1: So this is, wait, this maybe is is just what I saw. (laughs) There you go. Mickey Calloway, new columnist for the New York Post. I should have known when I saw the forearms. Okay, wait, whose turn even is it? It's your turn. (laughs) Okay. All right, this is my third and final three up. Um, And it's maybe a little more serious than just Marcus Stroman as a human being. Uh, You mentioned earlier in the podcast about Trevor Bauer and which, which was like, if this was a normal week and we weren't in person and having a special segment in the middle of this, we would have done like 25 minutes on just Trevor Bauer throwing a baseball over the center field fence in the live baseball game. (laughs) Yeah, I can't do it. Uh. It's too late to really go down this rabbit hole, but um my third thing is temper tantrums and who bears the brunt of criticism for them and what those players look like and what is at the roots of those criticisms. And i like, it's, it's too much of a tangent to really go fully into it. But Trevor Bauer threw the ball over the fence. And I mean, Terry Francona was mad, but like, is he really gonna be punished for this? By Wednesday, we'll know if he's really going to be punished for this. But like, This is the very logical conclusion of all of his behavior since like ever. And we've just let it happen. He's just thrown smaller versions of this temper tantrum every day of his life. And it culminated in a start where he was in front of TV cameras. But are you telling me he doesn't just like do this in the locker room all the time? I would find it very hard to believe if all of a sudden he snapped and just decided he was going to throw a baseball 500 feet in front of millions of people. Weird. That would be weird. and um maybe just get Trevor Bauer the fuck out of here. Uh to quote Terry
2: Francona what he said to Trevor Bauer when he took him out. What the fuck are you doing?
1: <laughs> Terry same. I love I love Terry Francona.
2: Um okay,
1: what's your third and final thing?
2: All right. My f- third and final thing and maybe this brings it full circle because this is um something that I suppose we have talked about less. And less over the two years that we have been doing this podcast.
1: Uh, you're professional, yeah.
2: And good shortstops. <laughs> good shortstops. Guys who like to watch it home runs. <laughs> All assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um. No. And uh, I suppose it's fitting that we will uh, end the podcast this way. And this is certainly a lighter note than uh, than your Trevor Bauer. But that is a uh, our our good friend Tim Tebow, <laughs> 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 who was. Uh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we don't talk about anymore and. We really have no reason to talk about him. He said but, 183. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, and uh, oh, sorry. No, it's 163. Oh. <laughs> and and uh, 98 strikeouts in 77 games. But uh, but he was placed on the DL this past week. Sorry, the IL this past week in Syracuse because he cut his hand um, throwing a baseball. He was just throwing the ball in, and he had to get eight stitches. Wait, what? Yep. And, uh, and Syracuse manager, Tony DeFrancesco.
1: Nailed it. Sure. <laughs> Alex took three years of Italian. Um, wasn't really able to
2: kind of say where his hand was cut. He said, he'll be out for as long as it takes to heal, get back on track. It's just kind of in an awkward spot between his index finger, his ring finger, and pinky. Which just sounds like his, his hand. hand?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. What, what a way for him to go, right? Can this in, can we connect this in any way to his engagement? Um, even speculatively, can we get this segment on Fox News somehow? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you, uh,
2: his, his hand to God, maybe? Uh, I don't know, man. I just, too much of a stretch. It's, it's too much of a stretch, but, uh, but, I I need reasons to talk about Tim Tebow in my life. It's just kind of it's like grounding, you know, like so much has changed over the last few years, but Tim Tebow is just like the one it all comes back to.
0: No one knows me. No one knows you. You don't know me, and I don't know you.
1: I think that's a perfect place to end this podcast. It's great to record with you in person. And thank you to Phoebe and Gab for coming on and Revolutionizing baseball in a way that even we don't go as far as that was amazing. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm not gonna lie, like I kind of I kind of wasn't really sure if
2: this was just like a bit we were all doing about being like Gab and Phoebe are gonna come on the podcast and, like,
1: I like and, Alex <laughs> didn't believe it was real. It <laughs> happened. I'm
2: kind of serious about that. <laughs> like Bobby was like in the group message, you're like, I hope you guys know we're recording when we're all together, and they were like, yeah. And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> not
1: everyone is as sarcastic as you all the time." Yeah, sometimes it's people a, are earnest. It's a
2: blessing and a curse.
1: <laughs> all right, um, we will talk to you next week. Hopefully, the trade deadline doesn't ruin everyone's lives. Yeah, until thanks, then, thanks for listening, y'all.